You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, the spookily awesome Christy Morris. Yes, I am here in the gunner seat, ready to go. Do you have the trap? Oh, crap. I knew I forgot something. The, what? You can't go ghost busting without the trap. I, uh, okay, just, we'll, we'll turn around and, and, and we'll go get it. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, fine. <laughs> Well, this week, uh, we are returning to theaters as a brand new movie has hit theaters, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and it's something that, well, was supposed to come out a long time ago, and we had gotten ready for it by talking about the first two Ghostbusters films last year, uh, but it has finally been released, and we are going to be diving into that, but before we do... Thank you so much for checking out the 602 Club and listening, and I really want to say we appreciate it. Of course, you could find us wherever you get your podcasts, so, you know, just hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get the show as soon as it drops, and if you're an Apple podcast user or listener or using anything in the Apple system, uh, please give us a star rating review. Help people find the show. We read those reviews out on the show as well, so I want to thank everybody who's taken the time to do that. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're also on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. And you can also find us on Letterboxd uh, under the 602 Club where we've got all the movies we've watched. We've got some lists going so you can keep track of everything we're doing in our bonus shows as well. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook called The Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world. Uh, we do want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Thank you for supporting the network. And if you like everything that we're doing here and you want the network to be able to continue and continue to grow and to get even better, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of our team. Uh, and, of course, you can check out everything we're doing over at trek.fm. So, Christy, uh, you know, we're back to Boston uh, here. And I was wondering for you where you were uh, just kind of personally coming into a new Ghostbusters movie at this point. Yeah, I originally was not so sure about this because I think you and I probably felt the same after seeing the more recent Ghostbusters, I guess I would call it a remake, really. Um, and it didn't really float a lot of people's boat. So mm -hmm. then saying that there was going to be another, I was just stuck going, how is this going to turn out now? Mm -hmm. I mean, do we really want to keep... <laughs> going down that train um but as soon as i saw the previews and saw the casting for this one i was a lot more confident in it and uh you'll see how i felt about it later on mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i do have to say that with this one it's interesting because you know i've only seen the first two ghostbusters movies i never saw 
the uh, all-female reboot that they did. Um, and part mm-hmm. of that was just because, you know, after seeing Ghostbusters 2, and we talked about that, didn't really love it. Um, you know, I, I just didn't have any desire to kind of see just kind of really, like you said, just a straight-up reboot. Um, it just mm-hmm. didn't really float my boat in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, seeing the trailers for this did really pique my interest because it looked like something to which was trying to honor the past and still try and move things forward. And so, in many ways, that was more interesting to me. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the other thing that about the trailers that, that I felt like did a good job in, in at least selling this movie to me was that, yes, there were, you know, callbacks to the past, but at the same time, this really was also, it seemed to be kind of trying to introduce us to new characters to follow as well. And it wasn't trying to, it, it, at least, again, from the trailers, it didn't feel like it was just trying to harken back to all the nostalgia. Um, so it, it felt like it was going to hopefully have a good balance to it. Yeah, like it wasn't going to be all just rehashing mm-hmm. the original. Right. Yeah, and, and and that's where, you know, I came down and, and was was thinking, that's where I came down, you know, after seeing the trailer and, and was hoping that that would be the case. And so um, what really surprised me, though, and I guess this shouldn't be surprising that, you know, they wanted to do a sequel. And funny enough, this movie was caught in development hell since the early 90s and i mean legitimately from the early 90s all the way to like 2014 2015 this movie just kind of languishes and them not being able to find the right story to get everybody back together and especially to get bill murray back in and get excited about it and i just you know I I think that it was interesting because one of the things coming into this, I was thinking, you know, I've kind of heard back and forth, you know, throughout the years they wanted to do a sequel, but, you know, they'd just never been able to come to terms with who would be in it and, and, you know, who wanted to do it. And so Mm -hmm. I I think in part part of me personally, honestly, was just I never really thought this would happen because it had been in development hell for so long. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm with you because it it was over 15 years (laughs) that it just was going through all of these different rewrites and Bill Murray was in at one point and then out. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, with Harold Ramis passing away, um, that made it harder to bring, obviously, them back together at all because then now one of them is permanently gone. Um, I think that they also, though, when you look at it, it, this all started originally from the first Ghostbusters mm-hmm. in the mind of Dan Aykroyd. Right. You know, and, and although all of them went through changes from other people, including Ramus, who helped um, work on the first one as well, um, it was ultimately starting with Dan's brainchild. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that he isn't thinking bigger picture. Like, if you think about how he is working on this sequel, when you read about what the story he started with is mm-hmm. for this one, it was still just the four of them. Right. And if you look at where we end up with afterlife, 
it is bringing in kids. It's sort of like a, you know, felt like watching Stranger Things, even though we also had, you know, one of the the Stranger Things actors in this show. But it felt like it's thinking bigger picture than just it's all about the four of them. Mm -hmm. It's bringing in more people to, you know, become more Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I I think that that's the one thing he needed. I think I think you're really on to something. And I think it, what's interesting is that, you know, I've, it, this movie is directed by Jason Reitman, who's the son of Ivan Reitman, the original director. And, you know, he co-writes the script and he serves as the producer as well. And, you know, I, I wonder if that was just kind of because this movie is about in the in the story. And we'll talk, you know, quite in depth about that in a minute, but. This really is almost about the passing of the torch in the generations, you know, um, of family, right? And death mm-hmm. and loss and all of those kind of things and how they affect families and misunderstandings and all that. And so it just, it, it almost seems right that he would come and do this and be the one that's finally able to bring things together. And part of that, like you said, is that this isn't focused on the original Ghostbusters in the sense of they're not front and center in this movie. Like, they're not the main Mm -hmm. function of the story. It's actually about, really, what they've left behind, their lineage, the way that they've impacted the world, and um, the people who, you know either are trying to forget them because of things that are happened that have happened or, you know, or look up to them or, you know, um, the, the repercussions of their previous actions. And like, to me, you know, I think Reitman was able, that's one of the things that allows him, you know, and them specifically to just be able to pull this out of development hell and, and create something that to which people were excited to be a part of, um, and I think, you know, in the end, I think he, in that he just makes the right choices uh, to be able to bring Ghostbusters to the next generation while at the same time pay homage to what's come before. Exactly. Well, and I mean, and you even see it in looking at the kids that they bring in, the personality of of the original four reflected in these kids. Mm-hmm. So you can automatically see that Phoebe being Spengler's granddaughter, um, also like she has the same glasses as him and a very similar right. dry personality sense of humor. And then podcast really kind of plays the line between being like a Ray as well as a, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Now. Rick Moranis. But yeah, so, um, and then, you know, you have, um, Finn Wolfhard, who came in, who's the, you know, Stranger Things actor who came in, and he's kind of the fin- the Venkman of the crew. Oh, you think so? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because to me, he feels like he doesn't really know much about science, it seems to be. Hmm. You know, it's really more of his sister's thing. But he's in it because the pretty girl is in it. Hmm. Okay. I could, yeah. I and then, well, and that's not his only reason. I mean, he does, you know, get excited about the possibility of catching a ghost, mm-hmm. but that's also something Vinkman did. Sure, sure. Well, and I think, you know, I think I think that this is very interesting as to the fact that this is a sequel. And in it being a sequel, it is 
building off of everything that came in one and two. And, you know, we're, we've got the Gozerian cult being back and the fact that the builder's creator, Shandor, uh, this is where he actually mined the Solilium, uh, whatever it's called, that he needed to build the, the building in New York that would create the massive antenna that would allow um, Gozer to come in uh, and, 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 you know, be brought back to Earth and... Um, and that this is why um back there in in Somerville um that this is why we get Spangler going to Somerville and everybody kind of thinking in his group i mean by the end of 2 you know um everybody's kind of going their separate ways and like the business isn't doing great and he believes that there is this threat that's coming and nobody believes him and and so that this is what drives the entire story of you know where these people are in their lives and what's happened to them and to me like i was really sold in this movie with the story and the way that it was using everything from those original films but using it as well to kind of it's it's like the idea was to to create a cap for this trilogy so that you could start something new, right? And mm-hmm. um I I mean it kind of feels like Return of the Ghostbusters, right? Like Return of the Jedi in the sense of like, you know, the first Star Wars movie has the Death Star and everything, and then the third movie has the Death Star and everything, but it's the way to kind of bring it all full circle. And in many Mm -hmm. ways, this is the same thing in this movie, is to to find a way to bring it all full circle where we have to, like, the the threat is back, but it's bigger than ever, and, you know our heroes may or may not even be in a place to actually stop it because the heroes remember aren't necessarily on the job anymore, you know, and and is the, this new crew Mm -hmm. up to it. And so, you know, I mean, I guess there's in some ways kind of a force awakens nature to it as well. You know, um, the gozer awakens, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) you, you you know, I, I just I I thought that this works really well and I mean I guess even comparing it to the Force Awakens I feel like this is even more successful in building on top of and paying homage to the original while at the same time creating something that can move forward as a franchise if you want it to. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, I the thing that I loved about this story was that they saw what the big points were from the original that needed to be present here to be able to tie it all together. So they're like, okay, we do have to have a similar level threat. So let's go ahead and say it's Gozer again. We'll also have the key master and the gatekeeper and Zool. Cause everybody loves Zool. You got to have her. Um, and then we're going to figure out why they're back. You know, how do they get there and um, bringing in, the new generation, you know, how are they going to be able to teach the younger kids um, about what's going on and get them to care enough to want to stop it? So I I think that they hit all of the big points 
doing that. And that's what made it so good. And then the thing that tied it all together, and I was waiting specifically to mention it here, is Spangler, mm-hmm. is the fact that he came out here because he held on to that belief that he knew there was something going on. And if someone was going to stop it, it was going to be him, even right. if no one else cared. Um, and and that's really the central human story to the whole thing is actually, you know, it's not so much about Ghostbusters as it is about the people that are the Ghostbusters and the families of each of them. Um, and I think that it made it even stronger because it was a love letter to Harold Ramis mm-hmm. as well. Sure. And I'm going to tell you right now, I cried Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if anyone doesn't know you know he passed away in 2014 Mm -hmm. from illness um so you know i mean it was just something that happened seemingly out of nowhere um and then he was gone and actually him becoming ill was what brought him back to you know his relationships with these guys that he got to know so well through Mm -hmm. the original ghostbusters um, because he and Bill Murray had had a falling out. Um, and so they made amends before he passed away. And so I love that that's also kind of reflected in this story of like Harold Ramis and the character of Spengler bring all of them back together mm-hmm. off screen and on screen. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And and I think, you know, one of the things that actually really struck me about this movie and, you know, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but... You know, there's something about the the part of the movie that, and and so much of it obviously has to deal with Spangler and his, you know, daughter and their grandkids thinking one thing about him and not truly understanding, obviously, why he did what he did. And when they do, they have a completely new understanding of, you know, their father and then their grandfather. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, it just reminded me, and again, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it it did really remind me of of the idea of all of the people who go and put their lives on the line in in something like the military or, you know, those kind of things, you know, and, and end up losing their lives, you know, and they may not have their family members like their children who even really get to know you know, them and understand the reasons why they did something. And so, um, and I, you know, not even them, I mean, just any first responder, people like that, you know, and it really brought that to mind for me and just the, the people who are willing to kind of give up everything to keep others safe and do what is right when even nobody believes in them, you know, and he Mm -hmm. does this, right? His friends think they're he's crazy. His his family doesn't, and his you know wife doesn't understand him. And yet, he still stands up for what is right um, and does it, even though it's going to cost him everything. And I just I thought that that was such a great message and moment for the film because, like you said, it, it is about dealing with loss and um, dealing with um, lost friendships in the way that we 
sometimes misunderstand one another and all of those type of things, or we don't give people a true chance or we don't believe in them. You know, like all of these things Mm -hmm. are kind of being dealt with in this film. And I do think there's a, it's really beautiful and, and it has a ton of emotion to it because they take this route. And, um, I think like you said, it's the perfect way to kind of bring all of this together and, 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 and to put a nice capper on this part of this franchise so that in many ways you are able to, to move forward if you want to. Well, it's like, you know, you're kind of helping the audience that has been there with you from the first film in 1984 to go through the grieving process. Um, because I, I'm sure that they felt like that was the biggest elephant in the room we've got to deal with to be able to then feel like it's ending in a positive way and be able to move on. Um, so making it a tribute to Harold Ramis in that way, I think mm-hmm. is the perfect yep. way to add that in yeah. and, um, and make, make fans like me feel like, okay, I'm good with this mm-hmm. and, you know, we can right. see what they've got next. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree with you on that. Um, well, I, you know, I do think, you know, it's a great time to be able to talk about the cast, especially, you know, the new people that they have uh, cast. And um, I, you know, starting with uh, Carrie Coon, who I haven't seen in anything before, but, you know, playing the mother of Phoebe and Trevor and the, you know, the the daughter who feels slighted by her father for never being there for her. Um, I, I really liked her. I, I thought that she was sufficiently funny and kind of sarcastic and had the dark humor needed for the situation that she's in where, you know, she has never been able to make much of her life because, you know, she's not had, she's had a husband abandon her, uh, you know, and she it's it's been difficult for her to make ends meet, which, you know, felt very realistic in the world that we're living in today, you know, um, mm-hmm. a- after COVID and all. And so, like, all of this I thought was really well done, and I really liked her performance, uh, and I thought she was great in the film. Um, you know, I thought um, she brought exactly what she needed to every scene that she was in to either, you know, give you some sort of emotion uh, that she's feeling and or to just give you, um, you know, she had some good laugh moments as well. So I, I really liked her. Yeah, I also had not seen her in anything else before. Um, and so it was hard at first kind of for me just accepting what this character is going to be like. What does she bring to the group? And then also how is she going to interact with um, the memory of her father and you know, possibly a a romance or anything like that. But I do think she handled it pretty well. Um, I think the only thing, like I was saying, that made it hard for me was that they made her so adamantly not into science at all. But then looking back, I'm like, well, maybe that was a good thing to have if they're going to show how she doesn't really understand her daughter and didn't really understand her dad. Right. So... I get it, but, it, you know, at first I felt like it was just so, you know, difficult for the other characters mm-hmm. to then, how are we going to make 
her like them, right. but she doesn't understand them. I, you know, I was thinking about that and I thought that she did a really good job because of the fact that, because the fact that she has had such a bad experience with her father and it makes sense why she would kind of reject science and anybody mm-hmm. who has that mindset, right? And why then she would have such a hard time connecting with her daughter because that's a part of her that that reminds her of the painful loss that she experienced, you know? And so regardless mm-hmm. of whether she wants it or not, her daughter reminds her of something that brings her pain. And so there's right. that. I, I think, again, when you're just even thinking about the writing and the psychology of characters and then again, the way it's portrayed, I think she does a great job uh, in that. And, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's a very few films would you actually have a parent tell their kid, don't be yourself, you know? Right. Like, that's the <laughs> joke between them of, of to not be themselves, you know, and to pretend to be somebody else. And yet they come to a place, I think, where they both then in the end come to like themselves more and are more comfortable with them, their own selves as well as each other. And so I, I think that's a part of the story, and I think they play it really well. And, and again, you know, she does a great job. And, I mean, it helps that she gets to play off of Paul Rudd, who's hysterical and funny and was just named the sexiest man of the year. And, you know... Uh, alive. Well, sexiest man alive, yes. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> but uh, he he's great in this movie. I think he's really well cast. You know, I mean, he has all the humor that's needed for the role, but he also, I think, has the heart when it's needed as well and i mean you know just to play the guy who's you know a small town science teacher having to teach summer school to kids that he that nobody who wants to be there you know and uh mm-hmm. instead showing the movies like cujo and uh child's play was yeah he's great i mean it's paul rudd he's great in everything he's in yeah he's so good about being able to play um both the self-deprecating person and then also the really big hearted one as well. Like a, my favorite scene of him from this movie is when he and um, Callie are walking toward the same door and she says something like, you know, can you imagine who they've got teaching this stupid summer school course? And he's like, I can. It's me. <laughs> you know, he just he's so good with that kind of delivery. And I think that casting him specifically and then seeing him in the previews is what got a lot of people on board mm-hmm. for this. Because he feels like a reflection of the original Ghostbusters fans sure. inserted in the movie. And then they even write that into his character, you know, he's like, you don't know what this mm-hmm. is? And they're like, no. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I like how he plays off of Carrie um, and the two of them ending up being, you know, like the... Zool and the Keymaster um, was funny. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was a great choice. I like what you said about the fact that, you know, in in many ways, he is the avatar for, you know, that the audience and how we feel about things. And so I, I 100% agree with you. I think um, that's one of the things that, that makes him, you know, so enjoyable uh in the movie uh because he he's like us right like he he's a fan 
and he knows this stuff. And I, I think that's what's fun is that he gets to be then the the one that introduces, uh, you know, the kids to them. And so I, I think it's really great. Um, and you know, I, it's okay. So I got to ask you about this. Um, we have Finn Wolfhard. You know, he obviously quite famous these days, of course, from Stranger Things. And, you know, he's mm-hmm. in this movie now as Trevor. And I I got to ask you, how, how did you feel about him in this movie? You know, is he different enough? And, you know, uh, what'd you think? I couldn't decide if it was his performance or if it was just that he wasn't given enough as a character to do in the story because he wasn't really designed to be. But it felt like he was the weakest member of the group. Um, and I, I think it just was a mixture of the two. I think I didn't feel like he was really portraying Trevor as being super genuine. Um, the best parts to me were, you know, when he was um, initially starting the job at Spinner's. Um, and then, you know, when he is enjoying their first time catching the ghost with his sister. Um, but otherwise, it feels a little bit too forced for some reason which surprised me because I was really looking forward to seeing him in this, especially because I loved Stranger Things. But how did you feel about it? I mean, I think he's fine in the role. Uh, I think he needs a serious haircut because that is some yes. terrible, nasty hair. Um, sorry, buddy, <laughs> but it doesn't look good. Um, and I got plenty of kids in our, in our youth group. Same thing. It's just like, I don't know what's up with this long wacky hair but it anyway so i think he's fine you know i don't think he's good i don't uh, in the sense of like he he doesn't do anything amazing i think he's mm-hmm. terrible i think he's fine and i think honestly though the thing that i was most glad about was that he wasn't the focus of this film right i think part of that is because uh you know his storyline it's very teenager and you know classic teenager stuff and we've seen enough of that in films and so there isn't anything revolutionary there and so i was just glad that he was not the focus of this movie and i was glad that mckenna grace's phoebe was because she's phenomenal in fact you know i would say putting her as well as logan kim who played podcast together they're incredible so funny like yeah and it reminded me in this uh, the same way that the kids from S- stranger things captured our attention because they mm-hmm. were so good these two kids are phenomenal and carry the entire film and i thought by putting it through their eyes it allows us to enjoy the ghostbusters universe through that and we get a sense of wonder and joy and fun and all of those things because it's through their eyes and they're hysterical. Like I just kind of wanted a whole movie with them as the leads because they were great together. And I, I mean, I legitimately feel like I could just sit in there and give every superlative there and thesaurus. Um, 
but it's they're great. They're just so good. Yeah, I, it was so cool. You're a thousand percent right seeing that we were seeing it through, especially through Phoebe's eyes, because it does also give you a new appreciation for stuff that for me, you know, right. as a, an original fan has been so present all the time. Um, you know, you get a little more used to it. For her, it's all completely new. And so you're along for the ride watching her, you know, sliding the pieces of floorboard to find the trap underneath it and trying to figure out what actually happened with her grandfather. Um, and, you know, I love that the, she discovers the gunner seat in the vehicle mm-hmm. accidentally. It's all of those things through a new perspective that make you then appreciate why you loved them in the first place again. Um, And yeah, I think that her playing off of podcast. So meta right now I'm talking about podcast on a podcast, but um, he was incredible too. I think that it's sort of the same way that stranger things we talked about. It wouldn't work if they didn't cast the right kids. This wouldn't work without those two right kids. And I loved Logan's humor when they're talking with the teacher about the trap. And, you know, he's just, he's so serious. And it's like, she's found finally the, her own weirdo, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like her, her mom was always saying, don't be yourself because you want people to get to know you first before you let all your weird out. And with him, he's just totally already on her level. And he's like, you know, I know we don't, have chemistry together but will you be my lab partner right and she's like yeah or you know i love when um she says are you filming me and he goes right. yeah just in case you know a bomb goes off and all your body parts <laughs> split up into pieces <laughs> she's like okay <laughs> yeah he's he's so funny um you know and it's it's hilarious to, I mean, obviously, like you said, it, it's meta being podcasters and, and seeing podcasting become something that people talk about and even do in, you know, films these days, mm-hmm. um, which was hysterical. And I, you know, I thought, again, like you said, both of them are so good together. And like you mentioned, too, it's it's about they both found people who understand them yet are different you know like there's that they're opposite but they understand one another and and i just think it's great so i just really love them in the film and 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 i i was kind of blown away by how how much i liked them how well they worked together and how much they carried the movie because if they had not been good, this movie wouldn't work at all. And so, you know, I really enjoyed them. And then, you know, lastly, you know, we had Celeste O'Connor as, uh, as Trevor's love interest. She does, she does well. Um, there isn't, again, like, uh, you know, Finn, she's not getting anything like revolutionary to do, but they make a fun foursome, with you know phoebe and podcasts together and so uh, really enjoyable um and yeah again she just kind of completes that quadruple i guess is you know and um yeah you know i mean and that's this is what i was trying to say earlier that i didn't get across very well is that i feel like the four of them then end up becoming a younger version of the mm -hmm. original four 
So you've got Trevor kind of being the Venkman to me. Um, you've got Lucky kind of being the Winston. You have, um, I feel like Podcast is really kind of the Ray of the group. And then you've got Phoebe, of course, as Spangler. And I think that that, that was intentional. And so then now you're on board for them to possibly make a movie where they would just have the four of them. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely right. So I, I think, you know, one of the things and I've seen, you know, people talking about this film and or the reviews about the nostalgia factor and the connections with the past and the fact that we bring everyone who is alive back. And then, of course, using, you know, Harold Ramis's likeness uh for the film uh even you know they use art of uh archival clips uh to kind of create the uh cgi version of him and everything and so how did you feel about that do you feel like by the end of the movie there's too much nostalgia or was there just enough it was the perfect amount to me um and let's not forget to mention the most important piece of nostalgia that was in this, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow People. <laughs> 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 that and the dark nature of the humor of introducing them again was so good. Like my husband and I couldn't stop joking about the one marshmallow laying under the warm chocolate yes, blanket yeah. as he melted to death, you know, like it. Oh, it was so good. It was like. Someone that totally gets my sense of humor. So I, that was great. But yeah, I think that they especially handled the scenes of including Ramus in this movie very well because they didn't have his likeness actually speak at all, which I think was a strength. But still having him there, you know, I think that you kind of needed that. And then I like that most of the movie, the way that they're introducing him is without his likeness at all. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You know, like it was cute having it like the the lights are coming on directing Phoebe mm -hmm. down to the basement and the, you know, light following her to show her where things right. are in the room. Um, I just think that that was the best way to, to do that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they made all of the right choices when it did come to especially the way they uh, dealt with Ramus and I thought it was beautiful. And, you know, I, I think the best thing is that his daughter felt the same. And so yeah. I appreciate, you know, that, that, you know, she thought that this was really well done. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, both Aykroyd and, Murray both said that they felt like the script was heartfelt. It had a lot of great connections with the first two movies and kind of brings a lot of great through lines to hand this off to the next generation. And I thought it was great that, you know, we got Venkman uh, and Stance and Zed Moore back, but they aren't the ones who, like, solve the problem just because they're back right like it ends up being right. them working together with phoebe and the rest of the the crew to end this threat once and for all and i thought that was really nice and you know the the small part we got with Andy potts being back was great uh and so you know to me i think 
I think this movie is nostalgia done right. I didn't feel like this movie was just trying to redo the first movie. Even mm-hmm. though there are a lot of the same beats. And again, I would I would point to this felt to me much like The Return of the Jedi. It has some similar points to A New Hope. And yet at the same time, it's telling a different type of story, right? Mm-hmm. It's telling, and, and in many ways, this is telling similar points to Return of the Jedi, which is about dealing with loss and dealing with uh, redemption, dealing with um, people finally coming to understand their parents and what they were trying to do or didn't do well, or you know, like. It it has a lot of similarities in that, and I think this movie does it well. Um, and I, I think it, it, I just appreciated that, and, and I think in that I came away with me just being. I came kind of way kind of glowing from the theater. It was just I had so much fun being in this universe again, and in a way that I hadn't felt since the original Ghostbusters, because Ghostbusters Two is not great. When we talked about it, it's just not very good, Mm -hmm. you know, and this found a way to recapture the magic without feeling like we're overplaying our hand or not doing it well enough. And so, you know, I, I mean, the only one we don't get return is, uh, Rick Moranis and how, how did you feel about that? Would, were you missing him? Did you want him in the film? I was missing him, but that's also because I think, you know, at the time that I was growing up, he was in everything. You know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was big when I was a kid, so he was like everybody's dad. Right. So him not being in this, although I understand why, um, was kind of sad for me, but I think that it was still carried on well without him. Sure. Um And of course, you know, he left... Um, the spotlight when his wife had gotten diagnosed with cancer years ago and um, has been rightly so taking care of his kids being a single dad. So I understand why he wasn't in it, but um, I'm hopeful that maybe in the future they can get him to at least make a cameo. Yeah, that's I mean, it's so interesting to me because, you know, we're different in the sense that I didn't grow up watching the Ghostbuster films. And I, I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up with other movies that he was in. And so, you know, for me, I wasn't, I didn't miss him in the movie. I didn't even think about him being in the movie. And so I think that was fine for me. But um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously you could definitely, uh, you know, have him in a, in a sequel if there is one. Um, which, you know, it leads me to ask you, you know, uh, the production value of this um, and, and how it works. Because I noticed one of the things about the production value here is that they especially with the special effects, they were not trying to one-up the original in the sense of making everything feel completely different from or divorced from what we got in the original films. It almost felt like they were trying to really do a good homage to the originals, but with the current technology that we have now. I definitely agree i think that it was cool getting to see a similar ghost to like a slimer and just he's muncher instead of slimer and he's a slightly different color um 
and still bringing back, you know, like we were saying, the main characters that made this a monster story in the first place of Gozer and the dogs. Um, I think that that was important because if you completely change the look of the villains and of, you know, the other monsters that they're fighting, I think that you lose that connection of what made you mm-hmm. care about this universe in the first place. Yeah. I think so, you're right. And it was fun getting to see them apply to like a, you know, Walmart in the modern world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, um, one of the things that I thought that they did really well is that they uh, actually used, um, you know, some of the, the visual technologies of the past to create, uh, you know, some of the things we see, you know, the fact that um, one of the key masters beasts in Walmart was a, you know, it looked like an animatronic beast uh, until mm-hmm. it turns into a CGI beast, you know. And so, like, using some of those technologies to to make it feel like what we were used to in the originals... Yet at the same time, then blending that with the technology that we have now, you know, and yeah. I think it all worked really well. And I mean, even, you know, having Zool come in um, and, you know, uh, this time it's it's played by uh, the wonderful Olivia Wilde. Uh, and of course, you know, she doesn't have a ton to do, so that's not the point. Um you know, I think she just comes in and, and does a great job with everything. And so, yeah, I mean, this is this is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I wanted to mention, since you brought up Gozer as well, Gozer's suit change, although it's similar to the original, it is improved now. And as soon as I saw the way that it occasionally lit up with red lights, I want to like be Gozer as a cosplay now. <laughs> it's so cool. I love that suit. Um, so yeah, that part was awesome. Um, and then of course, seeing Ecto-1 with the sirens and everything and adding a gunner seat. Oh, I was down. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I just, I agree with you on, on all these points. Like, I just think this is a movie that really thought through what it was trying to do with everything. And I really appreciated the work that they had put in to making things feel legitimate, to making things feel like they all fit. Um, And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, uh, they they also use the technology that we have to create something just really special. And I loved it. You know, I, I was really happy with it. So um, one thing that we do have to talk about, Christy, is there were some end credit sequences. And I'm mm-hmm. interested to hear how you feel about those and, and how they worked for you. My favorite one, hands down, was Venkman and Dana and her using the shock treatment on him. Because if you remember from the original Ghostbusters, he's kind of a dog who's using the veil of science to meet young women that think he's a real scientist. 
and only shocking the guys that he's testing, quote unquote. So he deserves what he gets here so much. And it's so funny that it's his girlfriend that's doing it to him or his wife, I guess, at this point. Um, She's like, did you mark these cards? And he's like, no. And she shocks him. And he's like, okay, yes. <laughs> it just, it was so good. Yeah, I thought the um the first one with Peter and Dana was fine. Um, I thought that it was, I mean, it's a little bit goofy and silly. And, and honestly, I don't think it really adds too much to anything. Um, but that's fine. I mean, I think it's it's just more the fact that you know, they have Bill Murray back and I think, you know, they decide it's kind of, it would be fun to have a quick scene with him and Sigourney um, just to pay homage for the fans. And again, I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's, that's really fine. There's, there's nothing wrong uh, with doing that whatsoever. And so, uh, you know, uh, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, you know, I think, What's fascinating is it's really that second end credit sequence that really gives us this thought process that there could be something in the future that they may be thinking about, uh, you know, at least doing one more film or more with these characters. And so I, what did you think about that, you know, dealing with the fact that we've got Janine and, and Wilson talk about a success and then, you know, buying back the old Ghostbusters place, bringing in Ecto-1 and you got the trap red light going off. I thought that was a fun way to tease that there could be more without giving a guarantee. So, you know, they didn't then have a title card come up and say, coming soon in 2023 or something. I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, but it was fun to then say, we may go back to where it all began and tell a new story. Or maybe we will and we'll have, you know, the other three guys training them or something. That might be cute. Um, and I love Annie Potts anyway. So seeing her back as Janine was great. Um, and I like that they use her um, flashback with... Spengler as well and the coin um, to kind of add to this how much she cared about him and how much they really got each other. Um, And then, of course, you know, you got to love the joke from Ernie Hudson about being the sex appeal of the group. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I. I think the thing that's interesting about this is that this is a question that I have for you because of that second and credit sequence do you want another film in this or do you feel like that this does the job that you kind of want it to do which is to cap this off well and then maybe we can just let this go i'd be okay honestly either way i think it could end here and it is a natural conclusion and feels right, especially for, you know, being somebody that's been such a fan for so long. But I think that it would be good because of who they cast um, with Phoebe and podcast. If they had 
another movie and it was the two of them really taking everything on and maybe like I said with having Winston train them and they're back in the old firehouse and they've got the Ecto-1 and they know what they're doing but they're still not completely there yet so yeah I I could go either way I found it really difficult you know I feel like this Mm. one really does end so well and you you do it in a way that I felt very satisfied by the end of this movie. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, like, I love the cast in this movie. Like you said, I love, you know, Phoebe and podcasts and the idea of, like, having them in another movie. Even with the rest of the cast, right? You know? Um, yeah. But I'm hard-pressed to think that it's, it's going to get better than this, right? I have a feeling like you can only go downhill mm-hmm. from here. And I don't know. I, I just, I don't really have an answer. I did come out of the film and talking to my wife and I'm like, I do kind of hope that they don't do another one. Mm-hmm. Because I don't see how you can get it better than what you got here. So I don't know. I'm really yeah. torn. Um, Again, I love the cast that they've got here. I love who they brought in to kind of replace the old people and, and, uh, you know, uh, the older cast and in the way that, um, you know, they all fit with the story from before, but I don't know if it's something I'm always struggling with franchises in the fact of, can we just let them die? You know, can we just let them go? Uh, and this one feels like such a loving love letter to the previous films that, like, I don't think you get a better love letter than this. And I think you, uh, to me, it feels like your the possibility of ruining it just gets exponentially higher once you try to move forward. But I mean, I could be all completely wrong, so I don't know. I mean, I definitely agree that you are kind of dancing on the edge here of this is a perfect place to stop don't dilute what you have with then coming out with subpar stuff in the future. Um, But, you know, I, I also see the point of like, if they go with completely new people or at least, you know, starting with the kids here, that it could possibly be good at just, you know, taking the story in a new direction. Um, But then also on the other hand, I'll, I'll debate with myself and say, if there's no Gozer, who are they fighting? Yeah, because the last thing I want is a talking painting back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just them and Muncher this time. <laughs> I, I think I think that you bring up a great point in the sense that we've never in other Ghostbusters we've never been able to find something that feels as legitimate earth shattering as a villain as what we got in the original film and of course you know they use that again here and again much the same way you have another death star in return of the jedi um mm-hmm. because but yeah i don't i just don't know that's it's such a good question so i'm going to be really interested to see what other people think you know as we talk to them online or the babel conference or whatever so hopefully people will let us know but christy i guess you know, for all that we've talked about with the film, 
what do you rate Ghostbusters Afterlife? So this really had everything going for it with me and um, got to go see it with my husband, who's also a fan. And it was, like we both said, such a beautiful way to, you know, give credit where credit was due to the original and then also to be able to properly feel like we're all saying farewell to Harold Ramis um, in a good way because he was such a permanent part of this team. You can't have the original Ghostbusters without him. Um, And he helped write the original story. So anyway, um, so for me, really, it ends up being a four and a half out of five munchers. Nice. Because it's so much fun. I would definitely go back and see it in the theater anytime. I'm sure we'll buy it. <laughs> um, and it also, it, honestly, I will highly recommend also, um, I want to introduce the kids in our lives to Ghostbusters now because I also saw people bring their kids like five-year-old kids to see this in the theater so it it really does feel like it's a way to pass the torch to the younger generation and to get them to watch the original you know I I loved those clips they played within the movie from the original movie right yeah I I am pretty close to you in this you know I think this is a really fun movie I think it's an incredible way to follow up a film that uh you know has uh, you know we talked about it it had languished in development hell for years for this the reason that nobody could seem to really find a great way to bring these characters back in a way that felt like bait homage but also did something different and this finds a way, I think, to walk the nostalgia line perfectly. And it makes it a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed watching it the whole time. It it reminded me in some ways, not 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 as good for me, but still it reminded me very much of Solo where I kind of started the movie off with a smile and just get, stayed smiling the whole time. And that's mm-hmm. a great way to spend time at the movies, you know? And so I loved it. And I, I'm going to give this uh four out of five Ecto ones. You know, I think this is a yeah. movie that's, it's a great movie to even bring your family to. It's not too scary got great things for you to be able to talk about together as a family and just enjoy together at the movies as a family like this is fantastic for everyone and so i hope that people will go see ghostbusters afterlife but um christy you know if you were going to recommend something to everybody as we get to our recommendation section what are you going to recommend to everyone I have something kind of cool this time um, that I want to recommend. Uh, I'm kind of excited because for the first time in a while, I'm actually back into reading again. I do know how to read. You'll be surprised. I <laughs> I just feel like I always get so busy. I don't read a book anymore much. But anyway, I actually had um, a, a board member at my job bought this book for me and said, I really think that you should read this. It just meant a lot to me. And I was like, okay. Um, and it's really good so far. And it's um, a story about the founder of um, the charity called Charity Water. 
um, named Scott Harrison and basically how he realized after becoming a nightclub promoter that his life had become nothing, that he just spent all of his time either drinking or doing drugs or with women and that he wasn't finding any fulfillment in any, in any of that and realized that in order to get out of that, he had to give everything up and start over. And he ended up then founding this charity to bring clean water to people in other countries that are in need. So, um, yeah, I really recommend checking out his book called Thirst um, by Scott Harrison, founder nice. of Charity Water. That's awesome. That's really cool. So I'm going to recommend to everybody is uh, Yellowstone Season 4. It is back for its fourth season, and it is so good. I love this show, and I it's it's one of those shows that uh, I really enjoy. I look forward to every week when it's on, and so I hope that everybody will check it out. If you've never seen it, it's really worth checking up on. I think you could find it on Peacock Network, uh, the, the Peacock Streaming Network uh, streaming, but it's a great show, um, and... It's it's kind of like The Godfather meets a Western, so uh, but it's phenomenal. And uh, I've been enjoying its fourth season so far, so hopefully everybody will check that out. But Christy, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, on Facebook, sometimes hanging out in the Babel Conference. And then also I do a show when I'm not here on 602 Club. I do a show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells. And uh, I know we said we've been on hiatus for a while, but we're coming back at some point. We really love it and we want to. So um hope that you'll check that out as well. Sabers and Spells, part of the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. Uh, and you can find me, of course, all over the place under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also find me here on the network uh, in the Six Hundred Two Club feed, doing Snyder cuts as well as Assembling Avengers with John and our bonus shows. Of course, Assembling Avengers, we're walking through the Marvel films and, again. And uh, as of this recording, you'll get uh, coming out uh, our winter soldier conversation on saturday so i hope you will check that out uh of course you can also find me doing the orb literary tracks in warp five the orbs about star trek deep space nine literary tracks is about the books and the comics of star trek and then warp five is about star trek enterprise and then over on the nerd party network i am doing two shows one's completed and that's called owl post with Drea kaufman we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time uh, and, of course, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills every week as we talk Star Wars. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear.